0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: I'm Jenny Wren. I've been a festival booker for over 15 years, mom of two, four if you count the dogs. I've buried my sister and my parents, partied like it was 1999 for over 20 years, modeled for five minutes, worn far too many accessories and not enough self-care. I've had breast cancer and epiphanies, Safe to say, she's been around. You're listening to Hindsight Conversations where my guests are invited to bring to the table what it is they want to discuss, feel ready to share from where they are in their lives. We meet it together with no agenda. No topic is off limits, from the frivolous to the profound, the gnarly to the joyful, painful to the practical. Red flag moments you can only see when looking back but looking back to move forward. Join me weekly where we explore the 2020 vision of hindsight. Everyone has it. Ryan Vail is an electronic artist. He blends the worlds of electronica, folk and classical, always experimenting, combining classical instruments with unique methods of recording and composition. Ryan, I'm honored to say, is our spotlight artist for the next three months. It's his music you can hear as the intro to this podcast. His most recent album Borders was a collaborative project with Elma Orchestra, which won the 2019 Album of the Year category at the Northern Irish Music Prize, a symphony of electronic and analog components combine and enhance the live Borders show beyond its natural boundary. Cinematic drone footage of the Irish border and countryside is accompanied by string players, classical composition and vocal appearances from Moya Brennan and Stephen James Smith for a full-on assault of the senses, which has taken them from deepest Mexico to the Berlin Wall. Ryan has had extensive radio play and performed live sessions with the likes of BBC Introducing, Lauren Laverne, Annie Mack, Tom Ravencroft, Zane Lowe, just to name a few. He's also toured extensively and he's truly a prolific artist. In this episode, Ryan and I settle into a conversation opening with the death of his beloved manager and friend of mine, the late great Lyndon Stevens, who passed just before the pandemic hit. We traverse from grief, helping younger musicians where he started and culminates with him telling us about his new exciting project with Tide Surf magazine and the origins of how this wonderful project came about. A really warm, honest conversation.
1: For me, the start of the pandemic was kind of probably the most testing time because obviously my manager London had just passed a few months prior to that. Me and the whole team were we were kind of just like in this kind of place where we didn't know how to operate essentially because I don't think anything can, can really like prepare you for something like that. Uh, plus, we didn't really know what was coming because uh, you know London died of cancer; it was given all clear like six months prior to that and he was like cycling around Ireland raising money for charity so we were all in this kind of like real advanced like production we were all writing loads of music and we had all these tours and stuff all planned and we were all kind of working on overdrive so when we kind of won the the album award and we had all these like huge shows planned from like America, Canada, Dubai and it just felt like, okay, this is like the last eight years worth of like graft has come to this point And we're finally going to see the fruits of our labor. Um, that all kind of fell apart quite quickly. Um, and I think that was a testament to how tight me and London were as a team and how we worked so well together. Um, and kind of worked off of each other too. It wasn't just like London just worked for me. I, I worked for London as well. And it kind of just really made me think how important the team that you surround yourself with is um, and over time that that team becomes almost like family as well. suppose you spend that much time around them. So yeah, essentially I went under the pandemic kind of just with my head in between my legs going, what an under god is going on? This just feels like everything's been like taken away. Um, and there was that kind of realization. It was like, okay, right. And all these huge things that happen, some people are going to make money and some people aren't. And at that point of realizing that's what it's essentially going to come down to, it's, it's survival. Um, me and Owen, who was the other half of the Borders project, decided to try not to be the ones that weren't going to make money. (laughs) So we, we quickly, we quickly realized, and this was a really sad realization that I think many artists took a long time to come to was our art and our music became like a luxury and almost like a selfish actor in the pandemic because it couldn't support their families. So for many of us, we were going into the studio and feeling guilty that we were in this in the studio because before that we would go into the studio and make our art and in our art would create financial stability where all of a sudden we were just going on and making our art and there was no way of creating any like money. So for a lot of us, our our mindset around music was was challenged quite a lot. Um and for me and Owen, it was it was very much the case because we both have young families and mortgages and you know we are we were sustaining ourselves a hundred percent with our music. So we, we, we started kind of like reaching on the other avenues. Um, and the big one for us was I had before borders, I had turned like a laser show. So I had all this like huge production. I had moving beams, lasers, lights, strobes, everything. And Owen had really good camera kit from borders. So we decided to stream one of the first streamable HD full production shows in the UK ticketed um and at the time everybody was kind of just streaming for free which i absolutely detested i just thought this this is like this feels like the only way that we can make money and everyone's went under this kind of like attitude of hey we're going to entertain the world and do it for free <laughs> unaware that that is their job and that's how they're probably going to, have to make money for the next year and a half so we were we were in the total opposite end of the spectrum we were like no we're gonna we're gonna take it what we're gonna do and we're gonna do it at a high production value because we were lucky enough to have everything so we set up a black tent and put on i think it was like 24 stage lights streamed it full hd put it up for tickets we sold 150 tickets uh i think it was between 15 and 20 pound a ticket so that was kind of like a household could watch so we, we were kind of in the mindset that for every ticket that was sold. Um, and yeah, it done, done really well. It uh, got us a lot of attention because no one was kind of doing it at that point. And it led on to like a new business venture for us. And that was camera work. And literally overnight, we, we just had this huge amount of like, can you follow this? Can you do this? Can you make short films of this? And the fact that me and Owen were already composers, it took a lot of this kind of, you know, when need these things to do the filming and when need things to do the music. It was we, we became like this one-stop shop where people could just come and get everything done. So yeah, it just kind of turned into this mad year of like an insane amount of work. We started employing our friends that were out of work and just had this network of let's let's turn this around. Let's try and make this something good. Uh, and that's where Owen had Amelia Fulham started up. So that was like the main hub for all the Fulham work. I started then taking it further with Oshin O'Brien from, uh, DSNT. And we had Visual spectrum was a collaborative kind of startup with like loads of people where we all just came together animators and started basically realizing that everything had to go online. and we, we had all the tools to do that creatively. Whether it was sound design, animation, and basically just yeah, turned a bad situation kind of quite good. So
2: (laughs) you're putting the rest. You're putting me to shame. Anyway, I was sitting in the garden at four o'clock with gin and tonics, enjoying the sun, (laughs) twiddling my hair, wondering, you know, oh, I didn't know a bird lived up there.
3: (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think, uh, to be honest, I think that was the case for a lot of people and a lot of people that we brought on board. Um, and I think a lot of people are really good at one thing and mm. they they specialise at it and they become masters at it. And for me, a lot of my friends, I would consider them masters of this particular thing, um, where I kind of feel like through being... Being like a self-sustaining artist, I, I've had a real business mind from like quite earlier on. So for me, it was like 50% music and 50% hmm. business to make the music work. Um, so I think all that training with London for like that eight years prior, kind of, you know, all of a sudden it came out and it was like, oh, you know how to like turn these things around because we've had so many difficult things in the past. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's where it was different.
2: I mean, um, as as you were speaking, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously for anyone listening, I was very yeah. close to London um, yeah. and had the, you know, opportunity to work with him differently. I was, a, you know, let's say a, <clears throat> a buyer of music, so to speak. And, you know, but we we connected yeah. in a lot and we would just check in with each other. And I thought of him so much throughout the lockdown yeah. because Lyndon was just there was just always the silver lining there was always something yeah. to do there was always an idea there was always a door yeah. there was always a plan yeah. and anything i might have an i you know thoughts on or like you could ring Lyndon and with yeah. no ego with always your with your best interests at heart would go well i don't know jenny you know and then kind of like and and the, and the next thing the wheels are turning and you're talking about something else and then So it's as you were speaking, I felt like I was nodding like a proud mother because I just (laughs) know Lyndon would be like, yes, you know, like I was going to ask if do you think the, the all the years working with him? helped support that business mindset and that okay this you know let's not sit here lamenting like I did in the garden looking at birds (laughs) let's get moving and look at what we have so I really applaud you for that and Lyndon I must say because I really think you know he'd be so incredibly proud but you know we we touched on or you touched on Lyndon's passing at the beginning of it all and that you know while yeah. while we knew he had cancer yeah. <clears throat> we were not prepared for for him to go that quickly no um so i just i suppose i want to give a pause moment to or a little bit not even energy but just that was a a huge loss yeah a huge yeah. loss coming into this very strange reality of We're we're going into what? Lockdown? Like, these were all words that we would not have put together before. You know, we were having conversations that just sounded like they were completely mad. Yeah. Um, How was just that piece for you?
1: Yeah, I think that that kind of like December to March period, I I definitely struggled mentally um, because London wasn't just like it wasn't like a manager for me. We would have spoke daily quite a lot daily so like we were in contact all day every day even like when people stopped working we were still emailing and still figuring things out so it was quite a and even like it was just weird because even when he was in his hospital bed we were still doing the same thing you know we were still lining up gigs as if everything was sweet and you know so when he actually passed i don't think i was i was kind of prepared for it because he had me so distracted
3: hmm.
1: um and he had me so like work focused that I just didn't have time to compute. Um, and I, I could see what he's doing now. Looking back, it was very smart, but he it, it was obviously thinking oh, he needs to keep writing because he it, it might have a roadblock because of what will happen. So he was almost like he was preparing me to have something ready for it. Um, but yeah, when it happened, I, I didn't really deal with it too well. Um, looking back, I, I didn't I wouldn't be one of these people who can like just go and talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm not that way inclined. So my wife kind of said, you know, you need to probably like work this out in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um and why don't you return to the ocean return to the ocean? Um so previously and like earlier before London came on board, I, I kinda of had a rough part of my life where I kind of left uni and everything was kind of basically just fall apart. And I bumped into a local kind of surfboard shaper called Rosie. And he basically just gave me a surfboard and started taking me to the ocean every day. And he was like, just come. It was like this kind of Rasta vibe, you know, reggae music going down with just surf. And, and all of a sudden it just like cleared my mind and I was just like so focused again. So the wife kind of, you know, asked me to start thinking about doing that again. She was like, you know, I'll buy you a board. Why don't you just, we're so close to the beach, just start doing it again. You haven't had any time because you've been so busy with music. And I did. I just got a wetsuit, started going. It was the, the heart of winter. The water was so Baltic. It was like minus six degrees. There was howling minus two ones. But it was so therapeutic being in, under cliffs, howling weather, it's snowing on you. And it was just like, battling it out physically just working out these things in your head and the more I'd done it the more creative I started becoming I started returning to the studio it was like I really want to write something now and you know it just kind of yeah just worked it out over a couple of months to the point where I could talk about it then
0: wow. it was
1: just like mm-hmm. okay now now I can speak about this and there was a radio interview where they asked me about it and i up to that point, I would probably like just break down in tears, and it was like the first time I could actually like hold myself together to actually like physically speak about it. So yeah, there, there's a lot to be said about just being active and mm-hmm. really, really testing times, and you know, not falling into that part of like staying indoors and not speaking to someone. You know, that's right, not to speak to people, but maybe like find a way of just you know staying healthy during it all. Um, Yeah,
2: I've I've read before, um, you know, not necessarily prolific, but and I have found it myself, you know, grief, you you, it's it's so weighty and so heavy. And as you've said very beautifully, you, you weren't you know, you're not immediately a talker and you need time to process and people do need time to process it and. But it's so, I think, physically weighty. There's, there's like this emotional drain that you need movement. You actually yeah. need physical movement to start like shaking it up through your cells, through your body to to get any, fo- you know, to be able to process it in your yeah. brain. And, and you know, I have this beautiful image of, you know, kind of battling through the, <laughs> the, the freezing water um, yeah. and, and that leading you back to the studio and being able to talk about it. So that's... Um, it's a very beautiful thing really but we we do need time to process and and a way to process Um, and for me I definitely agree uh, because the the feeling I would certainly get is like I'm just going to sit under a blanket and I'm going to just sit staring at something but you actually need to physically move don't you
3: yeah
1: Mm. it's just it's just creating that kind of place where you can kind of forget about everything for a Mm. while and just Mm. kind of yeah, there's something about working up a sweat and just getting the adrenaline going. Just kind of mm. seems to heal a lot, um, and it's 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 kind of a beautiful thing when you think about it. It is it's like it's just mm. connecting with nature at the the kind of your lowest point, and mm. it, and and it's healing you. Mm. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing.
2: Mm. Uh, so not only had you lost Linden, but you know the as you've rightly put, and I think this is something that people maybe didn't fully appreciate. Um, and I was getting it. I, I I really, the the whole online streaming and as you say, sitting down with the guitar. I mean, this is your art. This is your work. This is like, you know, <laughs> th- yeah. this is your livelihood. This is how you're paying your mortgage and raising your kids. So I am yeah. so uh, amused because I'm thinking the lead Linden. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, why would you put that incredible show out for free? Of course, you should ticket it, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like yeah. it just. My mind was bending with that kind of thing. I almost had to step away. I couldn't. I, yeah, I couldn't quite deal with it. To well, be honest think, with you, I think
1: for a lot of us, we like we we did switch offline when we seen that happening because mm-hmm. it, it felt like there was. We should have all got together as one mm-hmm. whole music community and had like some kind of like discussion about it or something. But what happened was. It maybe showed the flaws of the music community and how mm. you know how many different sectors there is within it, um, and like I was saying from the start, I said you have to understand like, no matter what happens, we're going to be the last to be looked at, mm. so we have to create some kind of sustainability on what we do. So I was like saying this to the young acts that were around me and stuff, like the like the likes of Ro. Mm-hmm. So Ro was very clever because if she was streaming, she was always either being paid to be streaming, or she was charging for the stream um so we were kind of trying to have these discussions with people you know we need to keep some kind of like monetary value on this mm. but it was just the scene was just so big it was like a lost cause you know you had the the kind of wedding band scene then you had the pub singer and you had um and yet it just kind of got out of control to the point where i think Myself and Owen streamed on the side of a cliff. So we we once we had the lockdown restrictions lifted, we we brought a a huge production show at the side of a cliff on the top of Mullen Head, uh, shooting beams over the the Atlantic Ocean and stuff. And for us, that was like signing off of streaming. We were like, okay, "Okay, no one else has done this in Ireland. We we've kind of gone above and beyond. That's us signing off. (laughs) 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 And. um, it was just nice to have some kind of control over that um and we had a lot of people still asked us to stream we we're just like no we, we feel like that's as far as we can go with streaming and we're happy to leave it at that um but yeah it was just it was a weird it was a weird thing um like another another thing that we we discovered on it all as well was the music industry has like a lot of people are on full-time wages um and have like pension plans and a lot of these people don't actually make music, so it's so we're like right. So that's the sector that essentially has become kind of more not more supported by the government, but they tend to have have been kind of like safer during it all.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then the musicians, kind of very few of them had a backup plan, so they weren't saving for a rainy day. They they didn't have pension savings. They didn't have like books essentially so they weren't even mm-hmm. like keeping proper books so we were kind of helping a lot of people even try to apply for grants that they couldn't get because they weren't keeping their books right and it was just like it just felt like there's such this like huge divide that we were seeing where there was one group that was really well set up and they were going to be supported and this other group that was just like they were so free and so creative that they hadn't got anything in place (laughs) and it was just like oh no (laughs) how do we fix this you know what I mean and it's like so yeah it was just there's so many things that were highlighted during it that, that need to be addressed going forward
3: it's just yeah
2: Do you feel you will bring some of those things forward? You know, you sound extremely passionate about it in terms of, you know, looking at these younger bands or more free bands or, you know, the creative thinkers. You, you had yeah. the the legacy uh, of Lyndon perhaps behind you and with you with the 50% business and 50% creative um yeah. is that something you you know, I, I hear that you were helping. Is that do you find people coming to you now because of that? Is that something you're
1: Yeah, like it felt like a full-time job for about four months because all the arts grants and everything, I just had this like mad funnel of people coming at me. Um and to be honest, like I, I probably got through 90% of them, uh oh. 90% of them ended up being successful. Uh, a few weren't you can't save them all Mm. Uh, but I'd done my best but yeah we were talking to MLAs as well and we were trying to get some of the stipulations moved for you know how long people had books and stuff because there was even people like my management like Francesca and Ben who were just coming off apprenticeships and they were only starting their books like there was essentially nothing financially supporting people like that Mm. so like they'd done all this trade-on they were going on to their work um, and because they didn't have the like uh, financial background of like two years that, that they were deemed as just being unemployed for that kind of you know time so yeah there's a lot of conversations with mlas and stuff uh, and a couple of spearheaded groups um kind of were started up to try and address it but yeah people still stop through the cracks unfortunately um,
2: yeah, and as you say, you can't save them all, particularly when you're trying to manage yourself and your own family yeah. and your household and taking on this new well I mean, I guess new is perhaps the wrong word. The that you had, as you mentioned, all the equipment and the the yeah. film work. Had yeah. you d- but you hadn't dived into it maybe as much before? Um,
1: it was something I always wanted to do. Okay. So like I've always wanted to bring the live show to almost like a fallen experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with the understanding to do that, it's huge budgets and huge, just technically really difficult to do. Um, so I had I'd always done my mind that eventually everything would work towards this grand show that I would eventually develop. Um, I just didn't realise it would take a pandemic to kind of, you know, get me closer to that that yeah. place because I was so... I'm so buzzy because I kind of I, I write for TV, I do a lot of sound, sound work, work with bike composers. Um like I would I would co-produce for a lot of bike dance acts, and my studio time is really buzzy. So when I'm not turned, I'm pretty flat out in the studio. So I, I just never seen the time for me to, to really start learning these techniques. Um I suppose it's come up in two years now of, mm. of the pandemic, really. It's 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 and I've probably learned, like, like at the weekend there, I was directing Boiler Room AVA. So we had a full camera crew out. I was directing them, doing the live cut, looking after all that. A year and a half ago, I wouldn't have known anything about that. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, it just shows you how much you can really learn and push, push your career with, you know, when you're being you killed, know, your back's up against the wall, I suppose. <laughs>
2: I guess. But, I, you know, I, I tend to go to the emotion or the human side of it. And what I hear is a great uh, resource within you. Yeah. To, you know, and I think that you, you probably, I'm not saying you haven't, but I think here and now I'd like to kind of just hold a space for that for a second and go, hang on a minute, you know, that's pretty incredible that, yeah, it is something you wanted to do, but yeah. um, this ability within you um where, you know, we often say it's the creative side that, you know, wanting to move forward. But there is there there is a great strength there within yeah. you to to move forward and take it and, and not just kind of dabble at it, to really take it on and do it really, really well. And I think that's that's kind of amazing.
1: Yeah, I uh, don't think I've seen it come on. But <laughs> yeah, you, you learn a lot about yourself, these situations. Um, mm. Yeah. About how much you can be pushed and how much you can push back and I don't know. It's, it's just, it's interesting. Like, and I think for a lot of us now that are kind of moving on with things, it's just trying to wait. Like, essentially, I was hoping to announce shows in October and start mm-hmm. getting back out and, um, And a week ago, we had to pull everything again. So we've had to pull these shows now six times. And these are all shows that I've waited a lifetime to play, like the South Bank Centre and like London and all these real cool monumental shows.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And every time I pull up, it's just like this, like, dagger piercing me it's just like i can't handle pollen shows any longer can we just stop booking shows because i would rather there's something about the adrenaline of someone like yourself contacting london do you only play body and soul yeah let's do it which day and there's that excitement of you know and then you start thinking about the live show but booking a show for four weeks later but to be like oh now we need to move it two months forward oh now we need to move it another two months forward it just takes all the goodness out of it, it just takes mm. all the excitement out of it and it it just becomes this like so what kind of affair now okay. <laughs> and it sounds awful to say that but it just it's moving so much that you just get in the mindset that like you don't think it's ever going to happen wow and it's it's just uh, yeah so i've kind of asked my management and booking agent now to, to just stop booking stuff okay. until we know we can go out yeah It's playing with our emotions too much. Do you know what I mean? It's like (laughs) dangling that carrot.
2: (laughs) There's only so much disappointment and heartbreak and loss, I think, uh, a a human being can manage. No amount to see swimming is going to
3: keep... And and
1: I'm sure it's similar (laughs) for yourself. You you book the festival and you get that rush. Yeah, there is a rush. rush Yeah, there is a rush.
2: And I think there's something... I remember having this this moment of clarity, which is com- quite off topic, but I'll, I'll hopefully be able to bring it back on when my my father had a, a terrible accident, he was an, a very elderly man and he was essentially knocked down, crossing the road. It was awful. Huh. Um, and what I noticed most about myself at the time is that you can nearly handle the outcome or the death, let's say. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the not knowing bit in between is absolutely yeah. Fucking awful.
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Then this incongruent, muddy space of not knowing. I personally don't sit well with it either. So like you, I'd be kind of like either give me the chocolate or don't give me the chocolate. Give me the festival or don't, you know, this kind of like maybe. And, you know, shall we plan for and then that all to fall apart? I I personally do not have great tools to manage that kind of thing. It's like I want to know for sure or so yeah. i i really empathize with artists the 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 stop start the 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 no real plan from government the you know just this this muddy space of what the hell yeah. so it's it's um yeah i'm not surprised that you've had to just say listen let's let's not book anything until there's there's clarity because yeah. it's, it's an awful lot to manage emotionally yeah. and you're still trying to be creative and you're still trying to, you know, <laughs> it's not like... I,
1: you think, it. I think for most artists, though, we, we've probably wrote the album. We've wrote the new album. Do you know what I mean? We just want that, like, you know, root of how and when we can do it. Do you know what I mean? And it's like... Um, like what is that Osh- like?
2: Sorry, yeah. I've interrupted you, but yeah. um, I'm afraid I'll forget it. What is that like to write an album and not be able to put it out with the you know that must be very hard
3: yeah it,
1: that, for me that that's the most frustrating part because mm. I'd be quite a prolific artist so I like writing the album, developing a show turning it hard and then moving on to the next mm. kind of thing but like stopping that creative chain that I, I was kind of in was quite difficult it was mm. like okay so I've got an album here and what, what do I do here and they're just like oh do you want to work that track again or try this on this track and after 20 revisions of each track, you're kind of going like, ah, oh, <laughs> I, I I need to, step two needs to happen here. Mm-hmm. It's like, so I think for, um, yeah, for, for everybody now, it's just, it's like, we, we shouldn't be writing more music. Mm. We, we should be on to that next next part. And I was out kind of doing like some jobs watching recently. We were down in the, I think it's a sauna, sauna festival in Limerick. Uh, we were doing AVA and stuff, and we we're like, <clears throat> you no, know, everyone's coming up and they're going, well, you're not playing, and I'm going, no, I'm not. To be honest, I'm I'm not really into the these token festivals that are happening. Um, I kind of feel like it's given the the government a wee bit of ammo. They they kind of not really come out with the goods, mm. so I, I just didn't really want to be involved in this kind of like low capacity events that were essentially allowing them to sign off financial support.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's, that's what I was seeing from it. I was like, okay, so they're, they're kind of saying that we're working. They've stopped the financial support, but it's like one festival every five months. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reality. And we're still not in venues. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, a, it's definitely hard to navigate Uh what what they've laid out in front of us?
2: Yeah, that that piece is definitely gritty. I'm um, mm. I'm not a prolific artist by any stretch of the imagination, but when I have an idea, and um, if if I've to you know even this podcast, ironically, I've I've often said that you know actually putting it out was a process of me not killing yet another creative idea to kind of get you know unlike you you get you 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 put it out, but I sort of ruminate on on things, and then if I sit with it too long. I literally kill it off. It's like, and then I hate it. Then I hate yeah. it. <laughs> I go full circle with it and I bury it. I have this little graveyard of all my great ideas and I would yeah. almost tend to them going, oh, maybe that kind of was a good idea. But that holding, and, and I guess you would nearly have it on cellular level that you're like, you're ready to go. There's a process with you. If the album done, you should be out there. Um, and are you, so we're, you're in that holding yeah. space at the moment, Um are you still sea swimming? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing to support yourself to not, you know, go down a sort of a dark hole with it all? Or,
1: yeah, so basically, I started. Um, so, when the, the kind of two companies started generating kind of good income, I started to kind of not feel bad, but I, I kind of felt like I wanted to give something back. So, I um, had this mad idea that surfing and like, given so much back to me. And I felt like I was kind of indebted to it after, you know, kind of a say he heal, healing. It was a healing thing for me. So I, I ended up going um, and starting this online video magazine called Tide Surf Magazine. And the idea was I was going to create this central hub for everything surf related in Ireland to come to and support and create, yeah, just basically really cool content at a highly filmed level and boost careers of Irish surfers. Um, so for me, I was getting a lot out of it because the following is quite difficult. You know, you're in the Atlantic Ocean with an underwater camera and big waves. You're following drones and heavy ones, and these surfers are giving it their all, trying essentially not to hurt themselves on rocks. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was really relevant, and, you know, I ended up getting all this beautiful film content that just makes Ireland look like this like vast landscape of beauty so I started scoring it then and I was like I'm gonna make this video magazine have this huge score everything's shot beautifully colored beautifully uh, to the point where we're gonna launch it in the cinema now at the end of the year wow so yeah
3: so wow. this is just
1: like one of these ideas that you're like talking about um, yeah. where I just kind of went do you know what surfing's an Olympic sport now Ireland's got some of the greatest surfers in the world and it's like a free-for-all. There's nothing for them here in Ireland. The, the association hasn't really run that well. There's nothing content-wise helping them online to make them sports personalities that we should all know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, we should know these people that are top. Mm. to won the Olympics. Um, and for me, it's like, it's a cool sport. It's like, you oh, know. It they, is. Yeah. They all listen to good music. They can all dress. It's, it looks good. It's, it's a healthy thing, you know, that... And I was just like, this just needs to be addressed. So I just kind of, in my spare time, I've been doing that. And it's been really successful. We haven't even, like, released the first issue. We've got two uh, juniors with three major sponsors. We've raised corporate sponsorship deals for them.
2: That's. Yeah. I mean, what a yeah. what an arc of a story there. We couldn't have plotted that better. <laughs> um,
1: um, but it, it's so fresh, you know. We we haven't really got to tell anybody about it. So this is the thing. It's like people are discovering it. You know, who the hell's behind all this? And you know, how is it developing? And yeah, we haven't even got to the part of like going to radio with it or like PR and it. It's just kind of blowing up. So yeah, it's just.
2: Wow. It's, I mean, there's just so much in there from. Yeah. Going out there through pure pain, you know, yeah. l- let's call it what it is, pure pain and grief yeah. and loss, um, refinding through the wise words of your wife, always listen to your wife, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, j- just going in, I won't say in search, it wasn't like a quest, but, you know, just the, the needing per- potentially to get back into the sea to just to get a movement going on on where you were with grief. And in in that process, while you're bobbing around in minus six and and howling <laughs> wind and rain, you yeah. begin to notice again. Gosh, this is an incredible sport, and it's not being supported. And you've now come this incredible circle, and using yes. your skills through this pandemic of um, visual and camera, that's pretty amazing.
3: Oh, it's it's,
1: gonna, it's a lot of time. Um... But it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things for me. It feels like it's replaced the releasing music mm. thing, side of me because I can release content with all these surfers mm. and it's helping them and they're, they're gaining a lot from it. As I say, they're getting all these sponsorships and it's kind of helping, you know, create this career path for them and stuff. So, yeah, like financially, it means nothing to me, but the reward on a personal level is, is, is huge. It's huge. So, yeah. Um, yeah, by the time it goes to cinema it it'll hopefully it'll be seen as
2: like a work of art <laughs> well it sounds like a work of art I mean yeah. I'm I'm just sitting here smiling and nodding and little tingles going up and down my body going oh my god that's just so beautiful because it was such yeah. a you know uh, and and to to want to give back because it you know that it, yeah. it's just a very beautiful circle and and yeah. I imagine it will be stunning knowing your work and even you know visual was certainly has been standing in the wings for a while hasn't it with borders yeah. with that that has been there so i i guess yeah. it's uh i can be grateful to the pandemic in one sense that it gave you <laughs> that space yeah. to to allow that in but yeah. also um within yourself that you are able to allow stuff like that in and and let it move through you and and uh capture it and i mean that literally and metaphorically um yeah. And, I, and I, do you yeah. see yourself like you don't know right now, but do you see yourself moving more in that area? I don't just mean surfing, but with the this kind of.
1: Um, as I say, the like cinema. I always, yeah, the cinema world, world has always been like my drive for mm. music. I've always wanted to be, but I, I didn't want to be like the film guy. I wanted to be the musician that had this huge cinematic element that mm. was like, if someone was, like, say we were an electric picnic. Massive attack comes on, they do their show, and the visual element in their show is just draw gel, and, like beautiful. Mm-hmm. They touch on so many hard topics. And it's, for me, it's seeing people like that and trying to get to that level where you can go, you know, I don't mm-hmm. need that major label. I can be an independent Irish act mm-hmm. and sit on that level mm-hmm. and do something that's, that's made at home. You know, I have total creative control that I understand it all. I can talk it. I can produce it. And it's just trendy though get to that point where young artists are going to look up and be all holy crap learning the guitar is only the first step we we have to like push beyond these boundaries um and i suppose i've always kind of i've always had like you know i I was always like bjork and tom york and people like that and they're the people I looked up to that were always pushing the boundaries or, you know, more recently, like, you know, Max Cooper and people like that with the visual elements, although they're, they're not self-contained that they, they, they work a lot with other artists. Um, there is a lot of that, you know, trying to do something that would encourage new people coming along. Do want to up their game? Like Russian Murphy is a great example. Mm. You know, we all look to her and think, wow, like as a performer, I, I for me, I don't really think that you could get at a higher level than where she's at right now. Uh, for image-wise, for performance-wise, why she, she she's just there. She's just there. She's at the pinnacle. of What I think can be achieved. Um. So it's yeah. It's just trying to you know have that mindset that you want to leave that last an impression that will boost the island of Ireland's kind of
3: mm.
1: you know performance sector, but. <laughs>
2: That's the goal? That's the goal. Well, I think you will. I've always thought you will. Um, And Lyndon certainly, for sure, knew you would.
3: Ready to pop the question?
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend.
2: If we look back at young Ryan at school or young Ryan as a teenager or wh- where where did music come in for you? It's
1: kind of weird. So my father would have been a big uh, guitar player, mm-hmm. so he would have been on a lot of like the bigger Irish rock acts uh, um, when he was younger, had a pile of vinyl releases. Um, I kind of struggled. Our childhood wasn't that pleasant because, you know, it was up and down financially. We lived in a, um, in a rough enough estate. Um, to the point where I actually like, potentially could have died at quite a young age. I left a machine gun that was ditched by the the ARA that was in a bush beside our house when I was like 17. So yeah, so I I didn't grow up in like a nice area or nothing. Uh, The people in it were beautiful, but it was very run down and deprived. Um, So I think growing up with music, not been able to support the family well enough but something mm. of see my father pursue quite a bit it maybe put me off music at an early age mm. you know and I was I was probably looking elsewhere um when I was about 13 I, I was playing guitar and I was playing bass um and it was kind of weird I, I was always in music shops because my dad would have fixed and repaired guitars so you know I would have been like the 12 year old that stoked a fags because back then everyone smoked in like like music shops it was really old school and rock and roll like it is now but like you know I'd be sitting on a packet of horrible they would all be testing amps all day and you know and um so I I just had this real I was always around music and musicians um and one Christmas it broke me my dad's heart when I asked for a set of turntables (laughs) I couldn't believe it so at the time I had discovered rap and hip hop um (laughs) And I think it was I don't know if it's low end theory by Tri Call Quest or it was the Beastie Boys. But it was along that really nice hip hop era where it was quite pleasant. It was quite mm-hmm. jazz influenced and it wasn't all this kind of bitches and hoes mm-hmm. and the N-word being used a lot because I, I I really didn't like connect with that side of it. Um so it was just generally good lyrics, good good beats. Um and I was just really intrigued. I was like, how are they scratching and how are they doing us mixing? So my dad eventually got me these like belt-driven decks and I think for me, although I played guitar up to that point and in a few bands, I think when I got the decks that's when I knew music was like a big part of my life. So I would have kind of grown up going through all the old Sugar Hill records, listening to like gangster people like that you know and, um, and I think a real turning point record-wise for me kind of when I was around 17 was when Guru released Jazz Mataz, okay. That Okay. Um, with like MC Sonar. And for me, it was like musically just on par with it when I was really into at the time. I just really liked jazz. You know, I think there was like the Sajerman, the Tourist album was out as well. And I just felt like that era of music was really strong musically. Things hadn't, they weren't really like, struck back it was like real musicians really giving it their all and everyone was on this like equal level um so for me at that point I knew I wanted to do music but I didn't want to study it in college I kind of seen music as my like my paintbrush
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I seen it as my medium on which I would make art so I was never interested in making like a structured pop song or anything that was kind of the the norm. I always was challenging what I thought the norm was, was, and the hope to find something different. So I studied art. i done uh, GMVQs, HNDs, went to university, doing fine art, I was painting, I was doing photography. Really, really surrounded by like amazing artists and just, it was really influential. Uh, Mm. It was was hugely influential um, to the point where when I was in uni in Manchester, I got a grant to pay for my rent and I went and bought a sampler instead. <laughs> <laughs> Much to my mom's disapproval. Um, but that sampler like, was the start of me producing. Um, yeah. And it, it, it just kind of, yeah, it just became this thing. And, and it's really weird. Because I, so I was buying all these hardware and samplers and drum machines. Uh, and the reason why I was buying those was because DJing got too expensive. Okay. So I used to, I used to DJ and vinyl and have this huge vinyl collection. And I just loved it. I just loved going on the record shops. But what happened at that point of view was CDJs came on. Mm-hmm. And like one CDJ was two times the price of one vinyl turntable. And then the mixers got really expensive. And I just go, well, all of a sudden I was turning up the DJ in all these clubs um, in Manchester, like Sankey Soaps and Scoobar, And I think at the time I was maybe... DJing like breaks and drum and bass and it was just uh, again it was in a r- real nice kind of era it's kind of called full swing now but not as pleasant I think <laughs> but like I just found um, vinyl became an issue and became like this mm. pain in the arse when you turned up for with the vinyl it was like not here to CDs now and it kind of put me off a little bit so I, I just kind of stopped DJing and started learning production skills um, so yeah it just went into this like years of buying gear and then when I when I finally got the confidence it was a festival up in Derry uh called Keltronic oh yeah they'd they, they done this like uh, sh- kind of call out for for new artists um and the guy was called sturdy and he recognized me and had me booked DJing for years and stuff and he was like what are you doing with yourself and I was like I just stopped DJing and I'm just making music and I don't really know if it's any good or I, I don't even know how to record I'm just making music and he says, well, I do this thing where it goes live on radio with Steve McCauley from the BBC. and We just try and find new new artists and give them a, a chance. Do you want to do it? So I turned up and everybody was like, you don't have a laptop? <laughs> Where's your laptop? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't use a laptop. Why? And they were like, well, do you not have like Ableton or how are you make a music? And I had turned up with all this like early 90s kind of like drum machines. And like at this point, Point, I hadn't really spoken to people about like production. I, I didn't really have a friend circle. It was like like in this. And a lot of the people that have standing beside were like my peers, like the Japanese pop stars who had all these major record deals, and you know, they were on the charts with like Lisa Hannigan and stuff. And they were just all like we're not going anywhere we're sitting around you wait for you because to play because we just don't know what's going to happen right now <laughs> we've never seen a setup like this so um so yeah i played and everybody was just like what is going on because it, it, it seems normal now because we have like new jackson and all's running around and they're all doing these hardware sets but back then everything was computers and for me I was never interested because the computers were so expensive to start with so i was like i never had that kind of money it was like mm. i've had money it was like two or three hundred pound and all this kind of equipment was cheap then where now it's like two or three grand a bit so but like yeah it was just like it was just so rare back then and then i, I quickly got a name because everyone was going like this guy's like something from the 90s he's like running around like well, it's hardware and it sounds like people with laptops, but like visually it's actually really exciting to watch because you could see how it's being made. Um, And I think at that point of electronic music too, everybody was guilty of dumbing it down too much.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: They weren't really thinking about how they were presenting it. You know, if they were sitting in a bar surrounded by people, you know, pressing a couple of keys on a, on a laptop wasn't really that engaging. Where I was like playing these pianos looping them and then you know punch on the drums and you know and it was just this real tactile approach that I didn't realize was going to be quite a big deal for me
3: mm-hmm.
1: um and yeah so I didn't really have tracks even at that point it was just something over time you know festivals like yourself uh Body and Soul and like Keltronic you know sticking by me in AVA and just kind of put me around all these like influential people um to the point where you know, London had me sitting in offices in Germany, and all these huge techno producers started asking me to like make noises for them, essentially. So that that's like another part of my career. This is quite funny because um, obviously, when you're, you're co-producing and ghost producing you're on a lot of NDAs and can't really talk about it.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and London always said, you know, it'd be funny in 25 years when you can go, who's this Irish guy that's re- responsible for quite a lot of techno hits that nobody knows? <laughs> so he always said, I should have, I should put out a book. 25 Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Let's uh, like, let's, book know, com- <laughs> <laughs>
3: let's book let's in the cover of techno.
2: Let's book in a- the podcast date for 25 yeah. years. Yeah, reveal all. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funny because I, for me it was just like a job. Up. you know, i went mm. and um, there was a real problem in the, the techno and dance scene that I was I helped resolve and it was the fact that DJs were just expected to be producers. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of them had built these huge careers over being great record selectors and reading the crowd and creating this environment of bliss, essentially, on the mm-hmm. dance floor and their careers all came to this point of, well, what does your, your single sound like? And they were like, well, I've never even played an instrument or um and unfortunately the pressure over time turned into this weird place of Mm. you know the ghost producer starting to be developed and you know co-producing and selling tracks to big artists um yeah i'm probably as guilty as as anyone for for having a lot of involvement in that but for me it was obviously it was a a good financial thing to be doing (laughs) Um,
2: That's a that's a great um, piece of I have this vision of you as a little guy in with all the kind of the dudes in the shop, you know, and your dad strings and a guitar uh, to then, yeah, rocking up with all your little drum sections. And it's, it's um, yeah, it's a great. Um, I'm, I'm making this, this sort of uh, hand movement of like an arc. It's it's um, yeah. yeah, it's a great story in a sense of it. Um, it also sounds like kind of pulling things apart a little bit. Like I, I remember saying to Pat Neary, who, as you know, booked with me with uh, with Body and Soul's Electric Picnic, on if one more guy turns up or a girl with just a laptop on stage, yeah. like jesus christ that's not a show like i could sit there there could be you know gaming like we can't do this um but also it's almost like you took everything out of the computer and put it on display for people you're taking all of the you know the drum the this the this um so that's i think it's to me it sounds like there's a curiosity in you to get in and pull it out to let's have a look and and um it's funny also when i hear things like um You know, I couldn't afford, so I did this. Often that just turns out to be the most exciting thing, you know, even early days of Body and Soul when, you know, when, yeah, we had a very strong kind of booking, I wouldn't say ethos, but kind of. But a lot of that was because we couldn't afford the super big bands. Bands. (laughs) So, So you had to cut your cloth differently so you did go yeah. looking you did go searching in the down the back of the forest and under the stones and you know you yeah. you you. I think you get more creative if you just don't throw money at it you know
3: yeah
2: um yeah. and it's uh I I see that still within you or I, I've heard that within you with everything you're doing now that moving forward the the equipment that you have do you think you, you touched on it briefly but do you think watching your dad struggle so much financially and as a family. Financially, that that kind of stuck in you to go, you know what, I, I, I can't do that. If yeah. we do music, then I have to have a business acumen.
1: Yeah, I think I think it was that kind of, you know, baptism of fire um, mm. of just seeing it from a young age. And then um, there was also when I kind of came on the scene as well, there's there's quite a big thing changed like um, across the music industry and the record deals started disappearing. Mm. Um and a lot of my friends were dropped from major deals, and um, when I came on the scene, a lot of them were in their thirties, dropped from a major deal, moving back home and living with their parents, like with no other skill that they developed over this ten-year period of you know being big artists. Um and that really scared me a lot. I was like, I I I can't, I can't do that to my family for one, but I I just need to learn from their mistakes essentially mm. um, and it's yeah it's just being I think it's like everything having the awareness of it
3: yeah,
1: of how things work um, is really important because a lot of people they say stuff like oh that's just because they know elements, or they're part of that clique and you know that's why that happens and for me that's like a sign off of not understanding how mm-hmm. something is working <laughs> you know it's like that's what you say when you you have no clue about what, what what's actually happening, um, and the music industry has a lot of that, um, where people write stuff off rather than figure it out. Okay. Um, and for me, I think you know the business side of it was just trying to learn mm. how everything works mm. um, and being an artist that understood royalties, understood you know sync deals, licensing, you know, management percentages, you know, booking agent percentages, like not having looked to London for every single answer mm-hmm. was why I think I was able to develop mm-hmm. where some artists can, you know it's, it's, that, it's, it's that whole thing where you, you look the others and you say oh they've got a great team so I'll keep that same team but why isn't it working for me and it's you know it's, it's
2: you have to work. be part of the team as well yeah you have yeah. to be an active I love, I love,
1: I love, yeah and a lot of them sign off. So they, do, they, they sign off, they get the management and then they just stop doing what they're doing. And you're like, mm. no, it's kind of, you almost have to work twice as hard now.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I think I could definitely fall into that sometimes. It's like, oh no, I've got, you know, so you, I'll just leave you doing all of that. You know, I, I would definitely um, hand stuff over far too easily. So it's uh, it's a reminder to, um you ha- you have to be an active team member yourself. The team includes you and therefore, you know, you have to uh, and also make sure that everyone else is doing their job, so to speak. And to know that they're doing their job, you have to understand the jobs.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. You
2: know, that's um, I think that's a good skill set. Even, you know, looking back at some of the work I've done, I always... I, I kind of always did everything so then you knew what it entailed and you knew when somebody was bullshitting or was yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um because you knew what it entailed. I didn't do it all very well, of course, but just it just to have an idea of of what needs to be done. So it's a real um you know, I think through it all though, Lynn, Ryan, it's a it's a it's a really strong growth mindset within you, isn't it? It's it's yeah. um yeah um uh, uh an inner strength and uh, growth mindset
3: yeah i think I
1: think just out of like out of everything for me it was just you know like uh when you, when you kind of get that level of like on won an awards and being allowed into the studio with other producers and stuff you have that many young people too watching you and mm-hmm. asking you for advice constantly it's like you kind of don't want to be that person that like lets them down with this huge like awful picture of the industry because it's, it's not a bad industry it's 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 amazing and it's very rewarding once once it works for you mm-hmm. um but it's just getting to the point where it works for you um and finding that balance um and th- there's something really beautiful about being honest with a lot of the young ones too when they when they come with questions you know it's like Oh, I've got the single and it's on radio now, and you know I'm thinking of leaving my job. And I was like, "No, you do not leave your job." <laughs> I for for a long time, my wife, when she played with me on stage, we would have worked a Monday to Friday, jumped in a plane, flew out to Australia, played a show, got back Sunday night, straight back into work, and that was just our life until our music sustained, you know, our our home. Um, and there's there's this kind of like thing. It's almost like people just think it all happens quite fast. I don't know. Maybe it's to do with a lot of the TV series that they're out, like X Factor. You know, everything's very turbocharged rather than like the long game.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've hit on a very good point. Um, this this concept of, yeah, I've got the band name, I've got the logo, I've got the website, I've got the single out. Woohoo! You know, that's it's like, yeah. oh my God, love you. Woohoo! There's a long, it is. <laughs> It's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. From yeah. you know, and I I'm only looking at it from the other side of the table, watching bands come up and come through. It takes a yeah. long time, yeah. and 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 it and I can see it from some artists. It takes a long time for them to really find their sound, to really find yeah. to fine tune to to yeah. get to that place of no. This this really is the right. artistry that I'm going to move forward with. Yeah,
1: I think uh, there's someone who said I think I was playing with Neil Strang one year, and it was before, it was when Spaces came out, his album mm. Spaces, and he, and he broke internationally. And he said to me, he said, like, you know what, like, out of everything that the, one of the, the things that I learned was, um, it takes 10 years for every artist to really make an impact, 10 years of hard graft. And I always remember him saying that, he said, like, you know, it was only two years ago, I was playing to 20 people in London like literally 20 people and i'm still playing a lot of the same tracks that i was playing back then um i think just in this game longevity really is everything and you know if, if he had earmarked 10 years as a real crucial point of any artist's career then i think it's a good kind of goal to aim aim mm. towards you know they mm. really have things in place for that 10 year
2: Wise words, Ryan. Um, What a gorgeous conversation. I think I could just sit here with you all day. uh, And that's neither fair nor realistic. So (laughs) I will at some point have to let you go. And you know, what's kind of interesting and beautiful that we have met over the years, we shared a deep love for for Lyndon um i've obviously loved your music but we've never sat down like this we've never you know i didn't know about you know your your dad and and there's so much more i'm i'm sure I'd, I'd love to hear about but i've yeah. i've really enjoyed um that and uh, I just yeah, I just wanted to say that it's it's oh, uh, it's it's really nice to have this kind of, uh, you know, yeah. not in a bar or not shouting over this <laughs> or not, you know, um, not about yeah. to, not about to do a gig or, you know, it's a, it's a very different space and. Um, And you have so much to to offer young musicians and and not even just musicians, young artists, that that's what I I suppose I hear most clearly through what you've done. It's not music is just one of the mediums, as you said very beautifully. That was your paintbrush. But it it can be applied to, I I would say, a lot, you know, any medium really. It's it's that ability to to stay moving um, and open and honest. And and I think um, I hope you commend yourself for that. Um, I have three very simple questions that I've been asking as part of the series they're not difficult at all but is there anything you're sorry you didn't start earlier
1: Um, I don't know I, I, I kind of feel like everybody needs to make mistakes mistakes are such an important thing so yes I look back and think oh I wish I had done that differently but if I hadn't made that mistake I wouldn't be where I am now so okay
2: is there anything you're sorry you didn't give up earlier
1: um strangely uh, my full-time job <laughs> <laughs> i probably could have left it maybe a year or two prior to what i did <laughs> I, I would have been financially viable but i, I think i was just a bit nervous at the time. okay
2: and yeah. what are you most <laughs> proud of to date? I mean, we've spoken about so much, so you've possibly and there's so many things to be proud of, but there might be something else that you want to
1: Being able to support a family for so long in Ireland, I think that's 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 a real big one, I think. Any kind of young artists or anything that like come to see me, they, they see me living in a in a house that's that's been paid for by music. You know, they, they see the studio that's been built via my music. Mm. And I think that, you know, family are well looked after. It's encouraging for these younger acts mm. to see, and I can see it having an, an effect on them. So, yeah, mm. I think it's just, you know, presenting that really good, good image that you can do this. Mm. You know, you can be in Ireland. You don't have to be on a major record label, and you can survive and love a normal lifestyle. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, that is something to be very proud of. Um, it really is. And and very commendable. And um, as you say, to to present that to others as, listen, this is a tangible thing. It's not, you know, and you're not living. Yeah. Also, this kind of idea of, yeah, like you have to be in L.A. and living in these, yeah. few, you know, all of this very fantasy life. But in fact, you're living a very rich life yeah. uh, in Ireland, making incredible work. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. It is amazing, and tell me when or when is this surf piece coming to the cinema?
1: So yeah, it should be Debian and Bondorn cinema uh, it's earmarked for the last week of november some of the edits done so <laughs> i would say it'll be december time uh but people can follow it on instagram uh facebook and all those places so and what what under...
2: what is the handle for that we'll put it in so the it's... socials but just to have it
1: yeah so it's uh tides surf magazine okay it's just t-i-d-e-s
2: I've always found and without trying to sound hippie, but just in general, I've always found just the power of conversation without trying to like, I also got really, which is why I sort of landed on this concept. um, I hate this idea of like 10 ways to success or, you know, this idea of success or self help or it's very buzzwordy and it's not very real. And just people's stories and where you are and, and and or a pivotal moment or a like that can be very, very powerful because it's very tangible and it allows people to ruminate and talk and think. So, you know, I ain't tried to save the world, but certainly the the audio space of, of voice and conversation, yeah. I think, can be very powerful in a, in a very simple way. Oh, yeah, um, of course. Of you course. know, yeah, and just real conversations with people. That's yeah, that's the only space I can go into is just, yeah. Keep, yeah. keep it real <laughs> the whole right. way along I was thinking oh, what would Lyndon be saying what would he be telling me to do because yeah. Yeah, I know he'd have spin-offs and he'd have a whole host of things whereas yeah. my brain just doesn't
1: uh, uh, yeah. well, we, we were always saying like the whole time of the pandemic we just felt like the industry was flapping its wings and we were just like if London was here he would be like totally throwing ideas left right and saying oh, oh my god do this?
2: like, like <laughs> I thought I, honestly I thought of him so much because he would just have yeah pff, you know, he yeah. had this clarity uh, that I yeah, is very yeah. It's quite unusual. Actually, you just you don't meet many like him, do you? Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. your support. And um, and yeah, all, always been able to come forward and just have really honest, open conversations is, is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And come find me over in Hindsight Conversations on Twitter and Instagram.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?